0: Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's no special announcements or anything, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Starting us out are some very cool updates to the Atomus Wave Dreamcast ports. Uh, first, Smoke Monster posted a really awesome video that kind of covers the technical aspects of how these games are ported and why you might not even want to call them ports because there's nothing changing about the game itself, really just the way the inputs and the the general IO is processed. Now, I'm way oversimplifying that. Um, Megavolt is, uh, I believe, the developer who's doing most of the work converting these. I certainly don't want to take away from all of the work that they put into that. I'm just kind of making it trying to make it easier to visualize. But absolutely check out Smoke Monster's video if you want to learn more about that. Um, And also, Ray Command just posted a video as well that not only talks a little bit about the same stuff, but shows game footage of a ton of the games that were released including Dolphin Blue, which is, I think, the game that most people were really looking forward to playing on a home console, because it didn't ever have any kind of home port before. Um, And this definitely looked like a a really awesome game. Uh, There is a glitch in the game, though, where when you get to, I believe it's the third level, and uh, Ray shows it at about 6.30 in the video. I'll probably fast forward it here just for for people watching. Um, But you get to a point in the game, and the enemies stop spawning, and the game kind of just... Uh, goes into a loop and you can't go past that and there was some interesting speculation as to why this was happening um was it the original dump of the game was it you know was it fixed in Mame? but overall megavolt just kind of wants to go through and continue to convert these things and then go back and figure out what's up uh, what's up with them but overall I, i just uh if you're curious about this i highly recommend watching both of these videos because it really gives you a lot of the info you would need to understand it and also if you want to try these yourself um, it's really recommended you have some kind of optical drive emulator because these games were designed to be used on the cartridges for the Atomos wave not the gd-rom drive so while some games you could pour over and have it on a disc um, you're going to have some pretty severe loading times. While others, I think, it might be hacked in a way where it could load before each match for a fighting game or something. But overall, using a mode or a GDMU should probably be the better way to do this. Uh, I believe people had tested some of the other ODE solutions of the Dreamcast as well, and it did work. Um, and also for the GDMU, I think you need to make one small adjustment to the INI file in order for it to work properly. So uh, we'll try to keep all of this stuff updated I also just created a very basic placeholder on the website that's a page, not a post, so it's just going to stay there. And we're going to keep links to all of the forums uh, or all of the forum threads of each of the games that are available. And I'll try to keep it up, uh, keep it as up to date as possible so that way people always have a reference of what these games are. Um, you know, what's an original game or what's, uh, or or I guess not an original, but what's in the Thomas Wave exclusive. So those are obviously the ones that we would want focused on porting over to Dreamcast first because the other ones we might be able to get on a different platform, Uh, as well as, of course, you know, links to the games and more info on that. So I'll try my best to keep this up to date uh, as as best as I possibly can. Uh, There's not a million games, so I should be able to keep up with it. But once again, if you want more info on this, please check out both Ray and Smoke Monster's videos because they really sum up Everything you'd need to know, at least up till today, and we'll keep everybody posted whenever there's any kind of big updates like Dolphin Blue's fixed or if there's any kind of, you know, interesting info on it. So uh, anyway, thanks to everybody involved in that. Thanks to Megavolt uh, and then, of course, thanks to Smoke and Ray for continuing these posts. Crix has posted a few firmware updates for the Game Boy Advance EverDrive that adds the save game feature that he's been implementing into the other ones. So anytime you go back to the menu, the save game file is written to the SD card, which makes it pretty easier for people that need to manage those. As well as added another developer-focused feature that have um, that allow the developers to program their games with a certain type of saves. So you could have EEPROM, SRAM, or Flash. Um, And that's really for homebrew or for ROM hacking, but it's still a pretty cool feature. And also, uh, there was a few firmware updates. Um, I believe he released 1.13, and then there were two small bugs found. So um, in all of these Crix updates, I usually just leave the link to the main page. So just wherever that is, click on it, and then get the newest one, which actually works out, because even if you stumble across this podcast or this post, a few months from now, that same link would bring you to the place where the newest one is still available. So, as always, if you have an EverDrive, definitely grab that update. And uh, thanks to Crix for continuing the support on these. I just posted a playthrough of the game Space Ava 201 with the developer Nicole Express, and this was kind of a fun one to do because we didn't really know going into it if this was going to be an interview or just a hangout session or a full let's play, and I ended up really getting sucked into the game and playing through all the way to the end, which is kind of good and bad for anybody listening because you get the full experience, but you also get to watch me make a ton of very embarrassing mistakes and some of the puzzles that I was stuck on, so I guess it's an authentic experience if you will Uh, but the game is filled with a bunch of puzzles that are are very zelda-esque Um, and usually I like a game that's a mix between action and puzzles, but this one, for whatever reason, really just sucked me in, and I think that some of them, some of the puzzles were fun, some of them I could see the patterns right away, which got me excited, but either way, I didn't want to stop. This was one of the rare games I wanted to keep going until I actually completed the whole thing, so, um, you know, I don't know if that makes me a a bad host going into this without a solid plan of what type of video this was, but uh, Nicole didn't seem to mind, uh, so (laughs) I I guess it's not a fail. Uh, but definitely check out the game. Um, you know, if you're, if you're really into this uh, or into these types of videos or playthroughs, maybe treat it like a live stream and just leave it on in the background and look over whenever there's a part that seems interesting to you. But overall, it was pretty cool. And for anybody that doesn't remember from a few weeks ago, uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to play this game uh, and to talk to Nicole wasn't just because it's a cool new homebrew. It's because this is a game that utilizes the PC Engine or, or TurboGrafx-C Hardware, but also can take advantage of the super graphics extra processing power. Um, and you could see in the game there was a couple of uh, pretty interesting backgrounds that wouldn't have been able to be done without it. And it also uses the arcade card to buffer levels to make them boot up a lot quicker. So uh, it was kind of a a neat technological achievement as well as a fun homebrew game. So I probably still would have, if I took the time to play it, I probably still would have wanted to do the Let's Play featuring the developer anyway. But the fact that it's a hardware achievement on top of all of those other things makes it pretty awesome. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. Rodrigo Copetti, aka Flip, has just launched a new write up about the Sega Master System architecture, and I believe Rodrigo had done this for other consoles as well, and it ends up being a pretty cool overview of how the console works from a technical point of view which would really help development for any hardware or software mods that people were considering for it. Um, You know I I like to see stuff like this for all the right reasons. You know it's a very cool archival thing to do. It's great for developers and it's it's just neat to have a very easy way to scroll through and get info on something like this. And as I put in the post while some of the master system library hasn't aged very well uh, other games really have. And, you know, there's even games that are still totally playable in their original form, but have modern ports that you could enjoy both versions of. And for me personally, my favorite Master System experiences have always been the ones that can't really be recreated every, anywhere else. Um, I always talk about missile, de- missile Defense 3D, you know, a 3D game that you shoot 3D 8-bit missiles with a light gun. I mean, it's just, it's both cheesy and neat at the same time. And it's also cool because the game ramps up its difficulty immediately. So you don't have to play it for 20 minutes to get to the hard part. Pretty much as soon as you get to, like, level 3, it starts to get challenging. So it's a game you could jump into and enjoy uh i've yet to try outrun 3d with the um with the spinner controller i think that would be really neat as well uh but you know it's the 3d games the light gun games um you know fm sound sometimes those games have really cool uh audio to them others not so much but Uh, Either way, I I do think the Master System is a pretty unique console and one that certainly deserves the attention that that Rodrigo gave it in this. So uh, if you're into this stuff at all, definitely check it out. And thanks to Rodrigo for doing all of these write-ups for the different consoles. The GameCube homebrew software Swiss has just added virtual memory card support, which is a really awesome feature that I wasn't sure was possible, which I guess I say that quite often about the Swiss team. They're always doing awesome stuff. Um, Now, it's a brand new feature, so uh, it's still, I don't want to say buggy, but there's still some caveats to it, which should be smoothed out in any future updates. Um, But I'll kind of go through how it works. At the moment, virtual memory cards uh, are only supported when you're using original disks, or the GC loader, and it saves these memory cards onto an SD, which is either accessed with any of the memory card to SD adapters that you could find pretty cheap, or the SD to SP2, which plugs into the bottom. Um, each region has uh, creates its own virtual memory card, so playing games from different regions shouldn't be an issue. And at the moment, there's the ability to copy from original um, original official GameCube memory cards onto this virtual memory card. Um, some of the issues are that you can't boot a game from SD and have a virtual memory card at the same time, although they seem to be working on that. Um, and also, there's some other strange glitches like... Um, When If you plug in a WaveBird receiver while a game is running, it'll crash your GameCube. Uh, You can't, at the moment, do disk read speed emulation and memory card emulation, which at the moment only affects Tales of Symphonia. Um, Symphonia, Symphonia, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Um, And so there's basically... You know, it's exactly as you would expect for some pretty awesome feature like this when it's first released. Uh, It's something where if you're using a GC loader, you might as well just use this now because now you have the ability to back up all of your uh, save games to this virtual memory, and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, If you're running games from an SD, you'll have to wait till a future update, but. Not a big deal. And just a a little aside, at the moment, there's still no ability to write to the GC loader. So um, that's why you'll always kind of need some kind of SD adapter to save settings in Swiss for virtual memory cards and anything else. And, you know, SD readers and the SD to SP2 are super, super cheap. So if you really, you know, if the GameCube's your favorite console, you should probably own one of those no matter what you use to boot your discs, including original discs. So overall, this just seems like a really incredible. Incredible feature that uh, you know, and it seems like there's potential to iron a lot of this stuff out. So, as always, thank you so much to everybody that contributes to Swiss, um, and you know, especially Extrems and Emukitted, and you know, just for adding all of these awesome features that that really help everybody that owns a GameCube and wants to use these extra tools. Todd from Todd's Nerd Cave just designed a 40mm fan bracket for the GameCube, and a little backstory on this. So, obviously, fans are moving parts and will eventually die, so very often people want to replace the fans in their consoles, which require them. And there's already a 50mm print that Greg from Laser Bear had designed that will work fine, but it's kind of hard to find a good replacement 50mm fan. And in fact, the one that Todd did try out originally ended up dying on him and just a few hours. So, Todd took uh, took Greg's design and then just kind of modified that in order for it to use a 40 millimeter fan, which you can get um, the Noctua brand, which is known to be very good, a little expensive, but quiet and very high quality. And in his testing, it seemed to perform just as well as a cheaper 50 millimeter fan. Um, and, you know, the quality of the fan and the airflow really means a lot more than just the size in a scenario like this. You know, I know I'm being a little bit... Um, just glossing over the details here, but getting good airflow in many cases is more important than than how much air is flown through as long as it's continuous and it doesn't allow the heat to build up inside. So if you are looking for a good replacement fan for your GameCube and you're a fan of the Noctua stuff, definitely check this out. Um, you could download it and print it yourself right from Thingiverse, uh, and I'm sure other stores will probably be carrying this at some point. So thanks very much to Todd to um, for donating this design for everybody. And the GameCube is the only console I think I have that I haven't swapped the fan out yet. So I really got to probably get this one just because I've had really good luck with Noctua fans in the past. They're very quiet and I've never had one die. I think the oldest one I have is probably two years old, which is too new for a fan to die anyway, but still. Uh, So thanks very much to Todd for doing this. And if you have a GameCube and want to replace your fan, maybe just check out the post as a whole and see what's the best option for you. Mobius TripTech has just open sourced the CDI RGB project that he had completed recently. And these are RGB mod boards for any of the top loading CDIs, or specifically any CDI that uses the Brooktree chip. So there might be a, an odd revision here or there that could also use it. And these boards were pretty unique because they were designed specifically for the CDI signal. So the brightness and video levels should be spot on, as opposed to previously people were using generic boards uh, and kind of modifying them to fit, which did work and it was safe to do. But you do get a bit of a quality bump. And with these, it pulls sync from the main chip rather than composite video. So it's totally safe to use composite video and RGB at the same time. Which actually works out really well for streamers. That way you could just game on a CRT and then, you know, in basic composite video and stream RGB or probably a million reasons why that would be a good thing to do. Um, now it looks like retro gamer stuff has already picked up the project and plans on selling them and this is great because this is also the store that sells the 3do rgb boards um, that uh, dan citrus 3000 psi has recently open sourced so it's cool that there's a store that's paying attention to the more obscure consoles and while these certainly won't you know, sell a million boards, uh, any CDI fan that's looking to get better quality out of it would certainly appreciate it, especially because the top-loading CDIs don't offer S-Video, only composite. So unlike the front-loaders, you can't there is no other quality option available. You would really need this if you wanted to get the best quality from the CDI. And also, just on a personal level, I absolutely love and appreciate when developers do exactly this. Um, both Mobius with the CDI and Dan with the 3DO, you know, you, you do all of this development and you always end up spending a ton of money on on prototype boards and new equipment you might need to test and what you think might be a cheap project never actually is. Uh, So it's good that they're able to make their money back by selling a few, but then you have to make that decision of, you know, I have a whole line of products Um, do I have time to support one more of these things? And very often in the past, people say no, and then the project just kind of disappears. And I think in the retro gaming world, there's a bunch of projects people want that have always wanted that were impossible to get at first, and then after that, stopped being made. So it's really awesome to see developers go, you know what, I don't have time to continue to make these, so I'm just going to release the files to the public, let everybody else do what they wish with it, uh, and kind of go from there. So I think that's really incredible. As consumers, we just have to realize that now that this product's open sourced, get it from a reputable seller so if there's an ebay seller with zero feedback that that's now selling a thousand of these they probably had them made in some cheap warehouse they're probably not made correctly and with some cheap components you might want to skip those and go to the stores that actually know what they're doing like retro gamer stuff so thanks to everybody involved in this and i really do plan on doing that cdi stream at some point Uh, i just want to make sure i get all the equipment done and tested because i don't want to have any other streams where halfway through i realize i Didn't test something and uh, things get weird, like with that last Dreamcast stream. I'm still embarrassed about that. I should have checked all of that stuff. No excuse for it. So I I won't, I will not have an improper Thunder in Paradise experience. (laughs) So I'll keep everybody posted on that. I just posted a video testing a brand new LG CX Series OLED TV, and this was really just meant as a very quick lag test and OSSC test video, as well as kind of a general overview of what to do when you get a brand new TV. Because while each TV has its own nuances and its own things that are are both good and bad, um, the general rule of put your TV in game mode and turn off all all extra processing whatsoever still stands maybe someday it'll change but I would still recommend that for every single TV out there and then after that kind of look up if there's any features that you might want to try toggling back on here or there I also lag tested while I was changing all these features around and showed that some do add more lag than others but for the most part just putting this TV in game mode certainly dropped the lag very low it was 9 milliseconds which is the same reading I got when I tested the 60 five inch for, or 55 inch version of this a few weeks ago which is very impressive um, and I also kind of went through what happens if you set all of your settings properly in 1080p and then you put in a 720p or 480p source, all of those settings are back to default and you have to change them again, which is not, uh, doesn't happen on every TV, but it certainly happens on some of the TVs I've tested over the years. So I thought all of that was really important. I also tested the OSSC in all modes and in both generic and in optimal timing modes. It worked from 480p all the way up to 5x 1080p, which is really great because that means Retro is going to be totally compatible with this thing. So overall, I thought it was just a fun video. I didn't have time for any in-depth comparisons or anything, but uh, after the video went live, I got a whole bunch of messages asking people if I tested BFI mode, black frame insertion. And without going too crazy down the rabbit hole of explaining it, it's essentially a way that LG came up with of making it uh, the TV have less motion blur. So you get all of the benefits of like CRT scrolling that uh, but on an OLED screen, of course, with none of the downsides of CRTs like geometry issues, bloom and all that stuff. So uh, I didn't find that feature at all when I was doing this test. Uh, And after people mentioned it to me, I went back and realized you have to turn off one setting, then go into another setting, set that to manual mode and then turn off, I believe it's called or turn on motion plus, which they didn't just call it BFI, they called it motion plus. So, you know, um, I'll get back to that at some point. If I had known about that, I probably would have at least lag tested what the difference is when you turn that on. But to be honest, I feel like that deserves an entire video by itself. And I certainly didn't put some crazy effort into capturing a zero glare shot on the TV. I just had a camera on a tripod and talked over it. And I feel like if I was going to do something like test BFI, i would want to do it in a pitch black room and you know and, and make sure i get no glare and try to get both macro shots and regular shots of the tv so i could show the difference of something like sonic the hedgehog with it both on and off so you could see the blur in real time i just i don't think that's something i would want to just throw in there as a quick aside whereas you know in the retro gaming world just throwing in hey look it works in all modes of the ossc like at this point if you're getting into it, most of us would understand what that means and you know, or even if you don't, there's a lot of information out there. Whereas if you're talking about BFI mode, there really isn't a ton of info out there and it's not an old feature. It's a newer feature. So, you know, I guess some people were upset. I didn't include it. Whatever, you can't win them all. Uh, you know, I did, uh, I accomplished the goal of this basic lag tests and OSSE compatibility. And I will absolutely follow up with one that tests the BFI mode. And I also want to test it. Um, I don't know how this is going to work for copyright issues, but I also want to test it for movies because I also heard that it really helps for 24p content, um, you know, as well as retro gaming and modern gaming. So it might not be a long video. It might end up just being a five minute video with some basic footage and a quick lag test of BFI mode but just because it's not a long video don't mean doesn't mean it won't take a tremendous amount of time to set up and record, which is unfortunately the case with a lot of my videos. You know, some of them might be 8 minutes long, but it might take 40 hours to get there. <laughs> so, uh, I'll get to that eventually. I think it would make a fun follow-up video. And if anybody has an LG CX and a time Sleuth, uh if you want to just tweet or post anywhere your results, or even just send me a picture, I'll update the post with that, uh, with that lag test result. Uh, just do a before and after, just so people can you know, just to have something to compare it to, even though the thumbnail of the video literally has my lag test reading in it, whatever, before and after are always fun. So anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the video other than the missing BFI lag test, but uh, I really did think it was a fun thing to put together just as a general here's what to expect when you're getting a new TV and if you have a time sleuth, definitely use it in that way to test different features and see if they make a difference in lag. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches and listens and plays nicely in the comments, and of course and especially thank you to everybody that supports on platforms like Patreon and Floatplane or direct through YouTube, as it's your support that's keeping these videos, all the -the behind-the-scenes research, and everything else going. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week.